Sheep is a, a word that is very common uh, in the Bible, uh, but it's a word that has taken on a very strange meaning in our uh, in our day. It's a word that's been weaponized in our political discourse. Our oldest son uh, works at The Gap in Savannah, Georgia, and he has to wear a mask all day at work. And he was confronted, or maybe we could say accosted, by a customer who in, informed him in a rather angry manner that he was being a sheep by wearing a mask. Maybe you saw the video that circulated on the internet a few weeks ago of a grown woman who was set up outside a particular store and uh, sat there for quite some time making sheep noises at people walking by who were wearing a mask. A grown woman saying bye over and over to people as they walked by. Are those who are wearing masks sheep? Or those who are going without the ones being rather sheepy. Either way, no one wants to be a sheep or in a group of sheeple. (laughs) And yet that's exactly how Jesus sees us. It doesn't sound very flattering. In fact, it sort of confirms what we think God thinks when he thinks about us. His love sometimes seems seems rather perfunctory, more like tolerance than a loving embrace, like he just puts up with us on account of the cross. But Jesus, Mark tells us, saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In the Old Testament, sheep without a shepherd was Israel without a king, or at least Israel without a good king. And when Jesus talks about himself as a shepherd, he he certainly has this history in mind. He is coming to be the good shepherd, the, the faithful king where all others have failed. And this story of feeding the multitudes comes, do you remember what we read last week? It comes right after the story of another king, or at least a wannabe king. This king hosts a banquet in his own honor, inviting the most prestigious and most powerful people. And then he murders John the Baptist upon a request from his dancing daughter-in-law. You see, Herod sees people as objects, their utility, utilities for his rise, either as instruments of or impediments to his reign. Well, Jesus, in contrast, he sees the crowds and he has compassion upon them. And this is even though they won't give him a moment's rest. They're bleeding, they're hungry, annoying sheep. And everywhere he goes, the crowds press in on him and his disciples. Mark tells us Jesus and his disciples went away by themselves in a boat to a a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. 
I love that that Donna read this passage with a little bit of humor because this is this is funny. These people are racing ahead to get to Jesus. There's a lot of things that are rather preposterous about this whole episode. And it seems like a situation that is scripted to test Jesus' endurance. And it wouldn't have been surprising or maybe even disappointing to us had he had just about enough of the crowds and said, can't you people just give me a minute? Just give me a moment to catch my breath. Instead, he demonstrates revolutionary patience. He sees the crowds. He has compassion upon them. People he doesn't know, people with needs, people who are crowding in, asking him for a miracle. Maybe it's like the paparazzi that are taking pictures of a celebrity, people crowding in for an autograph, and yet Jesus has compassion upon them. The word in Greek is extremely graphic. It means to have one's guts spilled out or torn out. This isn't feeling sorry for someone. That's pity. And it's not just meeting someone's needs. That could be helpful, but paternalistic. Instead, compassion is being gripped deeply in one's person to the point that someone else's burdens become theirs. Our English word compassion comes from the two uh, Latin phrases, pati and cum, to suffer with. And 12 times in the Gospels, either Jesus or God the Father are said to be moved with compassion for humanity. Humanity grabs God deeply. We reach him. Our needs reach his ears. Jesus doesn't come to earth because God has had it up to here with us. And not even because he has the right to our allegiance, as legitimate as that would be. But Jesus comes to earth because God is deeply gripped by our predicament. Because he wants relationship with us. And so driven by compassion, Jesus comes to bring life where there is death. To bring care and nurture wherever it is needed, and to shepherd humanity into a kingdom of justice. Jesus, you see, leaves the comfort of his Father's side, his eternal loving embrace, to come to earth and to be mangled, to be beat upon, to be cast down, to be crucified. He takes on the life of the sheep so that the sheep can, can have his. Oscar Romero was an activist bishop in El Salvador in the 60s and 70s, and he saw his role as a, a shepherd to the poor and the oppressed. And he says, I am a shepherd who with his people has learned a beautiful and hard truth Our Christian faith does not separate us from the world. Rather, it immerses us 
in the world. It is a caricature of love to try and cover over with alms what is lacking in justice, to patch over with an appearance of benevolence when social justice is missing. True love begins by demanding what is just in the relations of those who love. Oscar Romero was shot to death while preaching to his people during Lent in 1980. Six of his priests then died violently and many more of his people, his sheep. He believed that many of his people were poor because El Salvador's economy and society were structured in such a way as to keep the masses poor and a few people extremely rich. To him, a hungry society was an unjust society, an unchristian society. And the gospel compelled him not only to preach salvation to individual souls, but to protest the structures that kept bodies underfed and ensured cycles of poverty. Now, if we've been paying attention to the whole story that Mark has been telling us, then we should see that Jesus here, as he is feeding the multitudes, isn't just solving a discrete problem. That is, there are hungry people in a particular place. But that his multiplying of bread and fish is a symbolic and a performative gesture. It's a a protest against poverty and hunger themselves. Jesus takes the, the loaves and the fishes and he, he looks up to heaven and then he blesses and he breaks and he gives them to his disciples. These are the same four verbs that he will use at the Last Supper. This is, in other words, a depiction of the intrusion of justice. It is God saying to those who are hungry that their hunger reaches him and that they are not alone in their poverty. In connecting this episode of feeding the 5,000, which is actually many more because only the males are being counted, in connecting this episode to the Last Supper and the breaking of bread with his disciples, Mark is telling us that this wilderness feeding is more than just a powerful miracle. Look what Jesus can do. But it is the inbreaking of new creation itself. This is justice being unleashed into the world, a prefiguring of the divine order that will spread out eventually all over the known world. Now, for now, we live in the same in-between time that Jesus' disciples did, that Mark did, and that our Christian brothers and sisters who have come before us have, have lived, waiting, watching, praying for, and working for that time when all hunger everywhere will come to an end. But what, is, what does Jesus initially say to his disciples when they see the hungry crowds and when they themselves are hungry too? He says, well, you feed them. He isn't being 
callous here or evading responsibility, for we know the end of the story and what he actually decides to do, that he will divide the fish and the bread and everyone will eat and be satisfied. What he's doing, however, is he's preparing them and he's preparing us for a time when he will not be immediately present and his father, his followers are to carry on his work. You give them something to eat. Compassion, in other words, is not just a feeling, but it is a doing. It is co-suffering. And compassion is not compassion unless it is known by the object. So practically, in response to this passage, maybe we should be asking individually as well as as a church, what hungry people does God have in our lives right now? What hungry people does God have in your life? Remembering, of course, that hunger takes on many forms. Whose challenges, whose difficulty, whose pain is on your radar at the moment? Whose needs do you feel in your gut? Whose hunger tears your guts out that you feel it viscerally? Whose situation breaks your heart? And what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? Some of the world's problems, a lot of the world's problems, require enormous resources, special skills and training, lots of volunteers and money. But a lot don't. Sometimes carrying on the work of Jesus is just noticing and then being present. It is being willing to show up, whatever form that might take. Maybe it's just over Zoom, but showing up in the midst of someone's heartache with the willingness to be the ears of Jesus first, and then his voice, his hands, his feet. But doesn't that feel rather overwhelming? at the moment. How are we to feel attached to the needs and the burdens of others when we ourselves are likely so depleted? We're tired. We're exhausted. We're at home alone, and maybe we're not hungering for literal food, but we're hungering for normalcy. We're hungering for community. We're hungering for friendship and intimacy beyond the screen. We have more downtime than maybe ever before and still zero margins. But in this story, the disciples themselves had just returned from their two-by-two mission where they were sent around the region to preach the gospel and care for people's needs, but to carry almost no provisions themselves. They were constantly in need. They were probably hungry and dependent upon others to provide for them food and shelter. They were tired, they were hungry, and the crowds wouldn't give them a minute's rest. And Jesus said, you feed them. 
That doesn't sound right, does it? It sounds rather preposterous. But maybe it didn't to them because they were with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They saw Jesus' compassion take him to the ends of the earth, take him into the needs and the hunger and the poverty of people that he didn't even know, people that were annoying. They had gotten used to themselves being the recipients of Jesus' compassion. And perhaps one of the reasons that you feel, that we feel depleted, besides being four months into a global pandemic, perhaps one of the reasons that you feel incapable of passing along compassion is that maybe you don't allow yourself very often to be the recipient of compassion. And in our context, in an affluent Western world, perhaps it's more difficult to receive compassion than to give it. We don't want to be the person who's hungry. We don't want to be the other. We don't want to be a burden. We don't want to be needy. We would rather do things on our own. We would rather have all of the resources that we possibly need and maybe give a little bit of our surplus. We want to prove our power rather than inhabit places of frailty and vulnerability. It is one thing to profess, friends, our need of compassion. It's quite another to allow compassion to unfold in our individual worlds. Those who are called, however, to proclaim God's love, to share his compassion, we must first of all believe and receive in our bones, in our, in our guts, in our viscera, that we are first the objects of compassion, that Jesus sees us, he hears us, he longs to meet our needs, to feed us in our hunger. And if we don't recognize that, if that's not a foundational part of our identity, then our compassion to others will more likely feel like pity. It will more, more likely feel like a sort of paternalistic duty. You see, we must first bring ourselves to the table, receiving again and again God's desperate love for us and for our church. We must meet with the person over and over who meditated upon, who contemplated, who pondered us in our helpless estate and then acted. To go into the world with the compassion of Jesus, to feed the world, we must first be fed. We must eat and drink deeply of his compassion to the point that it takes up residence in our guts, in our body, in our viscera. And friends, that's what this worship service is all about. And that's what we do as we come to the table. We come to feed upon his compassion to the extent that it changes us. 
And it gives room in our exhausted souls to have compassion upon others. And we will only have compassion upon others to the extent that we see ourselves in need of compassion and to the extent that we see ourselves having our needs having been met by Jesus' compassion. And so let's confess as we come to the table our faith in the fact that Jesus has come He has made his way to us with his compassion. He has given his life on our behalf to anoint sheep who are always bleeding on about our situation and our exhaustion. And yet he still comes again and again. And he lays this meal before us that represents the giving of his life, his blood, his body, and also represents the inbreaking of new creation. That is his resurrection, which is the foundation of all compassion and anything that we could do to the good of our neighbors. So let's now pray, and then we will confess our faith and come to the table. Father, we pray that you would feed us in our exhaustion. I pray that we would, we would honor the places that we are tired, that we would recognize those places where we feel alone and exhausted and that we would not first feel guilty about that because this is true of the human condition, especially humans who are caught up in a global pandemic. And Father, I pray that we would be patient even with ourselves as we try to recover a sense of of place, a sense of belonging and a sense of community as we are not in the same room with those that we we love and that we need. But Father, I pray as we now are in this for the last four months that we would begin to transition into a place of service. And I say that and pray that for our families, us as individuals and us as a church, that we would begin to transition into a community that can give and show compassion, can do the work of ministry to hurting people everywhere. And we pray that we would do that with gladness because you have gladly shown compassion to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.